Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good day that you've given us. Thank you for the privilege of studying your precious word. We love you and adore you and pray now that you'll speak to our hearts as we uh, dig into the last verses of this incredible book of Genesis. Thank you for the great journey that we've enjoyed through this book of beginnings. So bless us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We've been in Genesis a year and a half. I, I think we started in January of 18, and so it's been a, a long journey, but I've sure enjoyed it, and thank you for hanging in there and continuing to come. Thank you. Lee and Becky Wisdom are here today, right over here. They are missionaries to Panama. They were at church Friday and Sunday, if you were here, and uh, they're with the Phipps, so thank you all. We appreciate you being here. God bless you both. All right, let's... Um, Let's get started with verse 8 of chapter 49. In the 49th chapter, Jacob is blessing his sons. We've already looked at his blessing of the older boys in verses 2 through 7. So verse 8 through 12, that's devoted to Judah. And you'll remember, Judah has uh, is a transformed man. He's ascended, really, though he's not the oldest. He has ascended to leadership in the family. It's been very obvious. And uh, Jacob has noticed, too. So here's the blessing that Jacob pronounces upon Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's sons will bow down to you. That's your brothers. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse, who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So there's the blessing that uh, Jacob pronounced upon Judah. Now, you recall from our journey through Genesis that Judah slept with Tamar, the wife of his deceased son, thinking her to be a prostitute. Judah in sin, no other way around it. But he's changed since the incident with Tamar. That incident humiliated his soul, and you may recall that uh, Judah said of Tamar, she is more righteous than I. By comparison, that was what he said. His character has developed. You'll recall that he pleaded for the life of Benjamin. He became the leader of his brothers. He offered himself for Benjamin, a foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice, Jacob has witnessed the growth in Judah, his humility, his character, his love. And so Jacob pronounced his, Jacob pronounced on Judah a kingly role and the one through whom the Messiah will come. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. He's lion-like. Your brother's descendants will bow down to your descendants. You'll become a ferocious lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In verse 10, Jacob prophesied the dawn of the Messianic age through the tribe of Judah. 
His reign will be a time of abundance and celebration. You see the picturesque language that Jacob uses. There's, there's so much abundance. Now here's the word picture that Jacob is giving. There's so much abundance in this messianic age that hitching a donkey to a grapevine will be of no concern. Now what would a donkey do if he were hitched to a grapevine? He would eat the grapes. And so there's so such an abundance of grapes that there's no concern with hitching a donkey to the grapevine. Let him eat all he wants. There's plenty to go around. So it's the picturesque language that Jacob is using. There's so much wine that you could wash your clothes in in the wine. In the wine, uh, figurative language again, but wash your clothes. Uh, yes, they'll be red, but go ahead and wash your clothes. There's such an abundance that there's no need to be concerned about that. So Judah is a picture of power, a picture of strength. And when Jesus changes water into wine in the miracle at Cana, the disciples are reminded of this prophecy. Jesus is the Messiah. So Judah's tribe will produce, who do we think of before we think of Jesus? Who will come through the tribe of Judah? David, and then later Jesus. And verse 12 speaks of the strength and the power of Judah. All right? So that's Jacob's blessing upon Judah. Now we look at his blessing on the other brothers minus Joseph. Joseph will get his own section of verses. But let's read verse 13 through 21 and then verse 27 and catch Benjamin. And so verse 13 says, Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend toward Sidon, up to the north. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backward. I look for your deliverance, Lord. That's kind of a sentence stuck right in the middle of the blessings. We'll we'll get to that in a moment. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He'll provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. And then Joseph will stop here and drop to verse 27 so we can catch Benjamin. And notice what he says about Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. So let's talk about these verses very quickly. Um, the, The blessing is evident in two ways. Prowess in battle and prosperity. Prowess in battle and prosperity. Zebulun, verse 13, he'll live by the sea. Uh, Trade will fuel his prosperity. Issachar, verses 14 and 15, will settle in a fertile land, but he will choose to live as servants, as serfs, rather than labor and work in a less fertile area. So what Issachar does is he trades his liberty for humiliation, but the reason he does it is the land is fertile and 
it's an easier life. That's his choice. Dan, uh, Dan, by the way, is um, his tribe produces a very well-known muscle man. So who would that be? Samson, yeah. The tribe of Samson. Uh, Jewish rabbis teach that the viper, the snake, the viper in this text, is a metaphor for Samson. That's what they teach, a metaphor for Samson. He used stealth and treachery as well as his strength. And we know that to be true. Dan's descendants will excel in battle. That's his pronouncement upon Dan. Now, verse 18 is just right in the middle there, a shout of ecstasy, hope, and faith. So in the middle of the blessings, Jacob musters his strength and a shout of ecstasy. I look for your deliverance, Lord, and it's almost here. He is not long for the earth. Then Gad, Asher, Naphtali, and Benjamin, he he pronounces blessings upon them that result in victories in battle and prosperity. In fact, he says of Benjamin, he, he is fierce and successful in battle. And, you know, we don't get a real big picture of Benjamin in Genesis. We just know he was the favored son after Joseph. And so really the picture we get up to this point is of Benjamin kind of as, a little, as the little kid. But we see what he grows up to be, a fierce, fierce warrior that his dad says will be like a ravenous wolf. Now, let's look at Joseph, verse 22. Uh, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. I wonder who that could have been. We talked about this last week, you remember? Who, who were these archers that attacked Joseph? They're standing there listening to all this. Who are they? The brothers. Yes. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. So, lest we forget who the favorite is, it was and still is Joseph. And in the hearing of his brothers, all the way to the very end, Jacob makes it clear The favored child is Joseph. And the reason for that, go back, Joseph, Benjamin, why is Joseph so deeply loved by Jacob? Rachel, because of Rachel. So he pronounces a blessing upon upon Joseph. Uh, Jacob has already, if you recall, blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, the the boys of Joseph. So Ephraim is going to become a multitude of nations, and Manasseh will be blessed also. Ephraim means fruitful. That's the meaning of the word. And he will become the great tribe of northern Israel, uh, will be great in strength, 
prosperous and godly for a while. That will come to an end. But the beginning will be wonderful for Ephraim. And Manasseh too will be great. Now in verse 22, there is a pun on the word Ephraim. Look back at verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. The word fruitful is Ephraim. That's the word, Ephraim. So Joseph will continue to bless as he does at this moment as his father blesses him. Now, in verse 23 and 24, he talks about what Joseph has endured at the hands of his brothers. But in verse 24, who gets the glory for all of this? God. Yeah, the glory goes to God. So remember, Joseph sold into slavery, rises to viceroy or the second most powerful man in Egypt, which probably would then have made him the second most powerful man in the world at that time. And Joseph has come to a point where he now has the big picture. And as we're going to see in chapter 50, he he understands why all this has happened. Those moments spent in prison where we see Joseph maintaining his, his dignity and his faith in God, not complaining. Now, we're not told every word he might have spoken in those years, and there may have been days of despair. I, I can hardly imagine that there wouldn't have been in an Egyptian prison. But the strength of Joseph is amazing, and uh, Jacob talks about it here. The arrows of those men shot at him, and Joseph is strong, and, and he commends and blesses his son Joseph. But we're going to find when we get to chapter 50 that, that the big picture is laid out. When Joseph says, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. We go through a lot of stuff in life, don't we? Sometimes we know we're right in the big middle of pain and agony and suffering. And and it's, you know, sometimes it's like we can't see beyond this because we're really hurting. But are we able to trust God and say, God, I don't understand this. I'm in spiritual pain or I'm in physical pain or whatever the case may be. I don't understand it, but God, I trust you. I know that you, you want what's best for me and I, I want so much to see the big picture, but if you never allow me to see the big picture, I still trust you. And one day I will see the big picture when I'm in your presence. Uh, Joseph lives long enough to see he gets, it's all put together. He now understands why everything happened. We know too, don't we? We've read the whole book. Well, don't let me digress. Jacob blesses Joseph. And for Joseph, the best is yet to be. The best is yet to be. Now, in, in the last verses, let, let me read chapter tw- verses 28 to 33. Um, 
It says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. That may have been really hard on some of the boys. But it's not like they didn't earn it. Who was the most positive? Joseph and Judah. Joseph from the beginning, Judah in the transformation of his life. Now, verse 29. Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And we say farewell to Jacob. So here's his final instructions. He's very specific. He's very, very specific. So, which is a good idea given the history of the boys. It's a good idea to be very specific. And why is it that Jacob wants to go back to be buried in the cave where his parents and grandparents are buried? It's not just so he can say, I'm buried near my parents and grandparents. What is the deeper meaning? God's promise, God's covenant. Jacob, with all his heart, believes that God's promise that this land will be yours and your descendants. He believes that to be true, absolutely. And so he's not wanting to be left behind in Egypt. He wants to be buried in the cave at Machpelah. So he's very specific about that. And then um, his death came fairly quickly. His purpose is done. He uh, lifts his feet back up into his bed. And within a very short time, whatever it may have been, Jacob breathed his last. Now, it would seem appropriate at this point that we ought to spend about 30 or 40 minutes reviewing the life of Jacob. We're not going to do that because we're going to finish Genesis today. Okay, so let's go to chapter 50. Mourning for Jacob and his burial. Mourning for Jacob and his burial. Verse 1. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh trusts Joseph totally. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court, and all the dignitaries of Egypt. Besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household, only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. 
When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizarim, which means mourning of the Egyptians. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. So, in these verses, we first see Joseph's sorrow, deep, deep sorrow for the death of his father, Jacob. It's real and it's genuine. But understand, the last 17 years of Jacob's life were spent in Egypt with his son Joseph. And what a blessing for both Jacob and for Joseph. So Joseph's command, he takes charge of this situation, appropriately enough. His command is embalm Jacob. And Egyptian embalming of this kind, of the highest level, not that you or I would have gotten a 40-day embalming, But the highest level took 40 days because they do it right for those of means or high position. And Jacob, because of Joseph, has that high position in Egypt. So Egypt mourns for 70 days. They held Joseph in such high esteem that they mourned for his father 70 days. Here's a little interesting tidbit of history. When a Pharaoh died, the period of mourning in Egypt was 72 days. So Jacob's time of mourning was only two days less than it would have been had he been a Pharaoh. Isn't that interesting? That's the esteem with which Joseph was held in Egypt. So uh, the embalming that takes place depended on how much money you had and how high your position. So there's no issue here. Jacob's getting the very highest. But Joseph has something more in mind than that. And that is, we're getting ready to take Dad on a long journey through the desert. So we want to be sure he's embalmed to the highest degree so that he is intact when we get to Canaan. Now, verses 4 through 14, we read about the burial. Isn't this fascinating? The elite of Egypt are there. Um there's a funeral cortege that, uh, uh, three groups, the elite of Egypt, Jacob's family, and the military. They all go. Quite a sight it must have been, journeying through the desert and on into Canaan. They took the long way around. They went south of the Dead Sea and up the east side of the Jordan River. And the morning of the, of all this group of people, this enormous number of people, was very impressive to the Canaanites, so much so that they they named, gave the place a name. Now, the internment of Jacob is exactly where he requested, in Hebron, in the cave of Machpelah, buried with Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob's Leah. Where's Rachel? You remember? Bethlehem. Yes, she was buried in Bethlehem. So, After it's all done, they return to Egypt, 
and not one single person who made this journey to bury Jacob will ever see the promised land again. Joseph and his brothers walked by faith. What conversations they might have had along the way. Well, let's find out one conversation that the brothers had. So uh, let's look at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and this conversation could have taken place actually before they ever left Egypt, probably did, because they were there, you know, 72, 70 days more. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I didn't hear Jacob say that, did you? Okay. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, came to him, Joseph wept. Now, I don't believe Joseph believed that, but the fact that the boy said it brought tears and weeping to, to Joseph. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now here's that famous verse. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Um, It's a remarkable passage of Scripture. The boys uh, are frightened. I don't know who brings it up first, but what they really are doing is they are imposing their own um, self-centered views onto Joseph, thinking, well, you know, I can't imagine that Joseph isn't still mad, isn't still harboring bitterness, and, and he didn't do anything to us because Daddy was alive, but now that Daddy's gone... There's nothing holding him back. He's, he's going to kill us. He's going to do something to us. And they impose their own self-centered thinking onto their brother, Joseph. So they sent this message of what Daddy was supposed to have said, a message of repentance that I believe was genuine because they didn't, they didn't want to die. And uh, it caused Joseph to cry. And the boys came and fell down in front of him and said, We're your, we're your slaves. I believe they were as genuine as can be. Uh, Judah's leading the brothers now, and we've seen the change in his heart. So what does Joseph do? He acknowledges God's providence. This is all God's doing. I see it. Do you guys see it? From the beginning, God has orchestrated this for the saving of lives and the fulfilling of the plan for Israel and the nations, part of which, of course, includes our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So... Um, I don't know what verse in Genesis you could pick to say it's the most important verse in the entire book, but verse 20 of chapter 50 ranks right up there. Very, very important verse. So now let's finish. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. There's some doubting Thomases in this room, but we're going to do it. Uh, Verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. 
Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to you and aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, project ahead to the Exodus. What happened to Joseph's body at the Exodus? They took him back. They took him back to Canaan. Now, 93 of Joseph's 110 years were lived in Egypt. Isn't that remarkable? 93 of his 110 years, but he never forgot where he came from. Never forgot. He never forgot God's promises. He too knew that God was going to keep his word to give that land to Israel and to be a blessing to the world through, through Israel. And so Joseph said, don't leave me here. This is not my home. I want to be buried in the promised land. He lived long enough to see Ephraim multiply and Manasseh also. And Joseph made the same demand on his brothers that his father had made, bury me in the promised land because he believed the promises of God. What a life. Isn't Joseph remarkable? Absolutely remarkable. So he died. He was embalmed, placed in a coffin to await the day of the Exodus. And if you take time to go ahead and read chapter 1 of Exodus, there he goes. Yeah, Joseph is going, or not chapter 1, but when they get ready to go, it will they will take Joseph with them. Okay. That's it. Is it? <laughs> Barbara, is it raining? Is it raining? I hear thunder, so I want to pray and get you out of here. Maybe you can get to your cars before it rains. Did we make it? Just a little. Okay, let's pray and then head for your cars so you don't get soaking wet. Father, thank you. We've been blessed by Genesis. Thank you for all who've come. And bless us now as we anticipate moving to First Peter in a couple of weeks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Be careful.